I've chosen to read a longer passage of Scripture this morning uh, as our text, Matthew 27, the first 26 verses. I think that it's important for us to get the context. The title of the sermon is Evil and Injustice, as we think about uh, experiencing the absence of God during those times. And I think that if there's any season of the year when we need to hear Scripture a little more, uh, a little more closely, a little longer, uh, tension span, it is this holy season of Lent. So I'm going to begin reading in just a moment in the first verse of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. I invite you to stand if you're able to do so. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus in order to bring about his death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. He said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. Throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury since they are blood money. After conferring together, they used them to buy the potter's field as a place to bury foreigners. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. This was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, and they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of one on whom a price had been set, on whom some of the people of Israel had set a price, and they gave them for a potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many accusations they make against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, anyone whom they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. So after they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that innocent man, for today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? All of them said, let him be crucified. Then he asked, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood, see to it yourselves. Then the people as a whole answered, his blood be on us and on our children. So he released Barabbas for them, and after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated.
You know, of all the pictures that I took when I was in the Holy Land recently and uh, posted on Facebook, this is the one that uh, probably had the most response. Uh, it's of the Sea of Galilee, I'm sorry, the, the Dead Sea. It's of the Dead Sea in the south. And the Dead Sea is almost 1,400 feet below sea level, the lowest place on the earth. But I took it from the ridge of the Judean wilderness, which is the Judean desert. And uh, you see some of the starkness of that land uh, and, the, and the barrenness of it. There really is no better depiction of our season of Lent and the theme of the absence of God than the Judean desert or the Dead Sea. It's forbidding, it's lonely, it's bleak, it's barren. Uh, it, is, it, it has about it a sense of abandonment. Uh, in the summertime, they tell us it's very, very hot and unrelenting. And, and, it, and it pictures so graphically this concept of the absence of God. And so much, so many important things happened in Jesus' life and in Scripture in this barren Judean wilderness or desert. And we're reminded of the covenant we have with us. I listened to Melissa's sermon uh, from last Sunday, and she did such a wonderful job uh, establishing this, that we're going to be honest with each other during this Lenten season, that we're not going to look for easy answers about where is God in the pain. We're not going to tidy everything up in neat little boxes and tie them with a bow. We're going to try to grapple with those tough Yes, but questions. Yes, I know God will make everything okay in eternity, but what about now? What about me? Where is God when I feel abandoned and all alone? And all of those difficult questions. Toward the end of our uh, trip to Israel, we toured the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. Uh, It was just almost more than I could handle, uh, going from station to station, looking at video clips, reading articles, reading letters, seeing shoes and glasses and memorabilia. And and I I remember thinking, why did God let this happen? Why didn't God do something? And then as I was journaling about it, I had the thought, God may have been in heaven during the Holocaust saying, why don't my people do something? It's tough, wondering about the absence of God and evil and suffering. You remember, for those of you who were at our uh, Ash Wednesday service, Paul Maziza uh, brought the message, a pastor from Pretoria, South Africa. The day after he was here for our Ash Wednesday services, he spoke to the ChurchNet Board of Directors, and he shared that as he pastored and lived through apartheid, in that uh, South African nation. Uh, His own brother was imprisoned on Robben Island, the same island island that uh, Nelson Mandela spent so many, many years. And uh, Paul Masiza shared that during that horrible time, he said it it was as as if they almost, as a church, could have given up hope. Because he said every day the church prayed for liberation from this oppression. But he said, it seems like the more we prayed, the worse things got. 
Because after we'd prayed, we'd wake up the next day and there'd be more murdered bodies of, of, our, of our people in the streets. It's tough to deal with evil and injustice and reconciling that with a powerful God and a loving God. And, you know, when we hear about the Holocaust or apartheid or evil and injustice in our own country or in our own lives, we're tempted to say, God, fix it. Balance the scales. God, zap my enemy. That person who's mistreated me so badly, zap that enemy. And God, if you need any help, I want to volunteer for mission service. Send me, O oh Lord, send me. I'd be glad to help out. We, if we're honest, we have those feelings sometimes. And I love that quote by Jane Ace uh, from years ago. It's true that time heals all wounds, but it's also true that time wounds all heals. Given enough time, uh, time will heal all, uh, will wound all the heals of, of this world. But what do we do in the meantime? How do we live uh, in that in-between time? And so, again, it's so important that we be honest to, to acknowledge that the Christian faith is not pie in the sky, by and by, or always easy. That uh, just as the Christian life has answers, it also has questions. Just as following Jesus brings great comfort, following Jesus sometimes brings great loneliness. And knowing God through His Son, Jesus Christ, brings enormous purpose to our lives, but sometimes it brings great confusion and uncertainties. And, and here's the rub. These six things all bubble around inside the same person at the same time. It's not that you go through a, a certainty stage and then a questioning stage, and then from answers to questions or questions to answers, all these things about evil and injustice and the absence of God, all bubble around at the same time. Helmut Tillich was a great German pastor during and particularly after World War II. If you can imagine trying to pastor in Germany following World War II. And he, he wrote a book on the silence of God. I get it out every Lenten season and, and reread some of it. And in that, in that book on the silence of God, Helmut Tillich says, the greatest test of your faith will be the silence of God. The greatest test of your faith will be the silence of God. Where is God when all of this evil injustice is around? I can't hear God. And that truly will be the greatest test of our faith. Well, we are all here having, if we've lived long enough, uh, been betrayed by someone been hurt deeply by systems that are evil and unjust, uh, by being <coughs> discriminated against in some fashion, by being wounded deeply. We're all in that experience. But I want to ask you a question, and I don't mean to be flip when I ask this question. Has anybody here suffered more than Jesus Christ did? Has anybody here been through more than Jesus went through. See, there's a, there are amazing insights in this 27th chapter of Matthew, if we linger long enough. 
we learn some things about how evil and injustice work in our world. The first thing to note is that evil and injustice thrive when systems of darkness coalesce and find one another and work to oppress the weak and innocent. In other words, separate systems of of darkness find one another and they almost always circle the wagons and oppress the weak and the innocent around issues of money and power. So that's the first thing we see because the corrupt government, Rome, was in cahoots with the corrupt church, the temple system. The religious people wanted to keep their power, so they lined up with Roman government. The Roman government did not want to revolt, so they granted the Jewish church lots of leeway. They together coalesced to create a system of oppression. The second thing we note about evil and injustice, evil and injustice thrive when good people do nothing. Or when good people get caught up unwittingly in the oppression. You know, one of the saddest parts of this story, maybe even sadder than the betrayal of Judas, is the way the crowds got worked up and got worked by the people, by the leaders. And the crowd was shouting, crucify him, kill him. We want Jesus of Nazareth, the the Messiah, crucified, either unwittingly or knowingly, good people get caught up in it. I was watching uh, an old movie not very long ago, uh, Romero, about uh, a Central American archbishop uh, who ended up being martyred because he resisted uh, social injustice. But during the movie, uh, a parishioner comes up to a priest ready to make confession. And the priest said, why do you need to confess? You haven't done anything wrong. And the person replied to the priest, it's not what I've done that I need to confess. It's what I've not done that I need to confess. So, evil and injustice take on life when those things come to pass. And I want us to notice from the 27th chapter of Matthew that much of those 26 verses were taken up establishing Jesus' innocence. Even when you have have a Roman governor, a hard-bitten, brutal Roman governor saying, why, what's he done? You should let him go. When you have a Roman governor willing to say, he's not done anything worthy of crucifixion, you're dealing with an innocent person. And for some reason, Matthew mentions the word blood over and over again. Verse 4, Judas says, I've betrayed innocent blood. Verse 6, they talk about blood money. Verse 8, field of blood is the name of the place. Verse 24, I am innocent of this man's blood, so Pilate wants to believe. Verse 25, his blood be on us and on our children, the people cry out. Blood, blood, blood. It's a brutal scene. 
It's an innocent man. And interesting in Matthew's gospel that from the time Jesus gives the non-answer in verse 11 to Pilate, you say so, when Pilate asks if he's the king. From verse 11 until that cry on the cross, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is silent that whole stretch of time. Reminding us that there is a loneliness to suffering. There's a loneliness to suffering. Because no one can walk through that valley for you. There's also a loneliness to compassion. Because if we truly love and truly give ourselves to to our community, to the world, to others, sooner or later we're going to get hurt. And it's lonely when you do not get that love reciprocated. Jesus gave everything, and instead of being loved in return, he was kicked in the teeth, whipped, beaten, and nailed to pieces of wood. It's lonely. It's desperately lonely. Now, as Baptists and Evangelicals, we've always gotten this piece really right, that Christ has suffered for us, By his stripes we are healed. I love the Lenten theme that through Christ's death, somehow mysteriously, we experience forgiveness, liberation, and healing. The suffering Christ for us, but the mystery of Christ suffering for us in this scripture is matched by the mystery of Christ suffering with us. And that's a piece that I'm not sure we've gotten, that that whatever we're going through, The crucified Christ is with us. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So even when God seems absent because of evil and suffering and injustice, God in the crucified Christ is with us because Christ has been through that. Christ says, I know what you're going through and I am with you. I not only suffered for you, but I'm suffering with you, whatever you're enduring. And I want to show you this amazing quote uh, by Brennan Manning that you really have to think about for a long time. The experience of absence does not mean the absence of experience. Now, for those of you who lost an hour's sleep last night, I'm going to give you extra time to absorb that. And you promise me you will not use it to doze off. The experience of absence does not mean the absence of experience. You know what he's saying? He's saying even when you experience the absence of God, that signifies, hey, I've got a relationship with God whom I love and I'm missing him. Even absence is a sign of relationship. So even in the experience of absence, it doesn't mean that God is not working. It means I have a relationship with God and I'm longing and thirsting for it to get connected again. In his book, Soul Survivor, Philip Yancey tells a moving story about a young lady named Kathy. Kathy was at a Christian sort of meeting where there were testimonies being given. She finally got her courage up. She stood up, her lip quivering, her eyes filling with tears. She said, my name is Kathy. 
you don't know me, but I was molested as a child. And then I went off to college and I was drugged and raped. I kept asking God, why me? What did I do to deserve this? I tried to be good. I went to church. God, why me? She said, then finally I gave up on God and church. I let alcohol take over my life to cover the pain. And then she said, one day I stopped by my old church. I don't know why, in the middle of the week I just walked in. Nobody was there. And she said, without planning to, I started crying. And then before long, I was bawling like a baby. She said, of course, this cleansing experience did not solve every problem in my life. The problems didn't go away. The pain was still there. She said, but I learned that joy and suffering could cohabit the same heart. Joy and suffering could live in the same heart. And then she said this, and I want you to hear it carefully. I learned that God can use everything in our lives, even the pain that never goes away. God can use everything in our lives, even the pain that never goes away. She said, I learned to claim my brokenness. Learn to claim my brokenness. And so if you have been brutalized, mistreated, disappointed, betrayed, victim of injustice, rejection, evil, you didn't get to choose those things, but you do get to choose your response. You get to choose your response. And I want to encourage you You're not alone. A crucified friend walks with you. Let's pray. Open our hearts, God, to the power of the gospel, the power of the good news in the midst of suffering. Make our hearts ready to receive all that you have for us day by day. As we continue to bow for just a moment, I want to thank you for your attentiveness this morning and working with me in this very tough, tough theme. But I want to invite you, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, to give God permission to become Lord of your life, to give God permission to come in and do that sweeping work, that renewal work, that saving work. Christ died for you and To believe on him is to repent and to receive him. It's to turn from a life that ignored him and to turn to him by faith and say, I don't understand it all, I don't have to, but I do trust you as a person. I receive you into my life. If that's what you're doing for the first time this morning, we'll be here at the front to pray with you, to answer questions, to help you. Others may want to come for prayer about particular burdens or transferring membership, other kinds of discipleship commitments. May God bless us all as we Listen to the Spirit. Amen.